0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, as Tim said, my name is Luto. Uh, it's re- really, and I'm nervous. <laughs> and it's really nice to be with you all. Um, like, yeah, like you said, I'm the youth pastor here at Olive Tree, so I look after your teenagers. Uh, the reason they're not dead is because Alec and my team do such a good job of <laughs> reining it in, and I get really excited. And so. Yeah, it's been an absolute journey over the last, what, four years, before I, like, I've been here for four years now, and, but I've been leading the youth for two. Um, yeah, it's been really exciting, and yeah, so, um, yeah, as Tim said, <laughs> Ross spoke into, uh, into, uh, compliment. I think it was, yeah, compliment versus compete last week. Uh, and I'm not going to go into detail about what he said, but the first thing I want you to know, just before I say, like, on the record, is that I didn't want to preach this message. <laughs> Four weeks ago, five weeks ago, when we started writing this thing and talking about relationships, I was the first to go, hey, I don't feel qualified to speak into relationships. At the time, I'd only been in a relationship for a week. So I was like, <laughs> so on that bombshell, I've got a girlfriend now. <laughs> it's been a little bit longer than that now, but I still don't feel qualified to speak into relationships. And so, I didn't ask for this. So, <laughs> This is what we're going to do. As a result, I've, already, I've found a way to work this thing so that I don't have to give you advice about relationships because I'm still wet behind the ears. So we're going to take a step back and we're going to speak more into friendships. So I'm going to speak more into those friendships leading up to relationships, how we do friendships now, preparing us for the future and just setting them up well. So we're going to see how we do them currently, how we do them going forward and what God has to say about them most importantly. So that when we are starting to have this conversation, I remember I was sitting in a car with a friend and my girlfriend, and we were having this conversation, and I realized we've got such different ideas and expectations of what friendships should be, what they should consist of. And then I opened that conversation up to teenagers a teen church, and that thing was stretched even further because people have their ideas based on their experiences, what they've gone through, what people have done to them, what their parents have taught them because of what their parents had experienced and all that stuff. And so we carry our own ideas into this, and then we can't agree on what friends are, or what we, when we can't agree on anything, we go to the dictionary to find out what the objective standard is. And so here it is, the dictionary definition is, uh, someone whom you have a bond or mutual affection with. So someone who you have a bond with or mutual affection. Now from my observation, I looked at this and we looked at this and, and we decided, no, no, that's not exactly it, it's not right now in our culture, it's not so much mutual affection but mutual gain or mutual benefit and so we choose our friends based on what they can do for us what they do for me how do you make me feel can you say the nice the right things when I want you to say them can you make me feel better can you make me look better and so we want to know the popular people we want to know the boss we want to meet the preachers we want to meet people like me we want to date rugby players because those people give you clout in young people language. I was just joking about me <laughs> I was absolutely joking about, we want to put that out there right now, I was joking. But we want to meet popular people and the people that are, because of how they make us look. A while back I was, a long while back, I was, uh, as you know, Raynor came to this church, and so I was friends with him somehow, and then they invited us to lunch, and he lived with Cohen and I was so tempted the whole time to just show the world that, hey, I'm hanging out with Cohen Bosch and Raynor Smith, because it's just like, hey, look at what that's going to do for me. That's the nature of our relationships, and as soon as those things stop benefiting our gain, as soon as they don't look for us, they don't look good for us, uncomfortable from us, or so we can't gain anything from them. We disengage, we book out, we go find something else. We go find other people. And so we've, got, we've built a culture of consumeristic relationships, and what consumeristic relationships do is that they breed pain. I've watched this happen in young people, especially the people I grew up with, is that when we all started drinking, partying, all the rest of the stuff, it took one girl falling deeply in love with a guy, and that guy would hurt them because the guy was selfish or the girl was selfish, and that pain would change the trajectory of a young person's life forever. It would dictate the person they became. You know the saying goes, once bitten, twice shy. And I experienced the same thing for myself, my introduction to this thing in the, in the era of, of BBM statuses, my status was once, once bitten, twice shy because a girl that I was so deeply and madly in love with in high school, I finally got after watching her like, for so long, not like in a creepy way, I was just... <laughs> <laughs> I just had my eyes on her for so long and I wanted her so badly and she was first my best friend and then um, she dated a friend of mine and then they broke up and I was like, yes, because now it was my chance and like, I was too scared to tell her anything. But after like six long months of wanting her, my friend gave me what we call a through-ball in young people language he spoke to her, I'd gone into a bathroom at a party, and he said to her, this guy loves you, and if you don't shine up, you're going to lose him. So when I came out of that bathroom, I came to this girl who was just like, hey, I'm sorry, and then she was like, take me now. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and so I got into this relationship which lasted about two weeks, and at the end of two weeks, she absolutely broke my heart. That was the first time I've ever cried for a girl. See, how it that jump into the bush kind of love because I was like holding it in as best I could. My friends went there for me and I, I was walking to the beach to work by myself and I was just seeing all these things that triggered memories and all this stuff. And then I saw people so I couldn't run forward, I couldn't run back and I just ran into a bush and I started crying. But she broke my heart. And on a serious note, the, my pain made the decisions for me in that instant. Never again. I'm never gonna let a girl that close to me I'm never going to let them do that this far and no further. I'm holding them at arm's length. I'm going to get what I need. I'm going to get mine, and then I'm going to leave. Lucky for me, Jesus was about to have an encounter with me, and I didn't have to stay in that space for long, but I heard people in the process. And so heard people heard people because the nature of our relationships is consumeristic. We want what we get, nothing more, nothing less. Now, I lost my place in the first first service. I've numbered my pages now, so it's not going to happen again. (laughs) Learn my lesson... Yeah, so we find people scary, and people find us scary, and so we walk around after we've been hurt with these questions in our head, like looking at people from far, what do you want from me? Are you gonna hurt me? Can I trust you? And it's all fear-based, based based on the things we've heard, been told, and been taught, and experienced for ourselves. So I'm gonna make a case for friendship in a sense, why we should have them, what they should be like, and then hopefully we can work our way forward from there and have a better vision for how we do our friendships. The first point is that you need friends. Now, if you're like, not lucky, but if you're in, actually, let me start like this. You're lucky now because you get to hear me preach and not do announcements in the 6.30 service. <laughs> I do this on I just say the most random stuff off the top of my head and often gets me in trouble. But somehow people enjoy it. But anyways, if you were here two weeks ago, you wouldn't have heard me do announcements. So I would have done a message on community. And in that message for community, I was going, you need community that was my first point and most important point is that you need community people asking the question that can i do church alone at home and the answer was yes you can but it's not going to be good for you it's not going to be beneficial it's better if you did it with community and the scripture i used to back up was ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 to 12 two are better than one because they have good return on their labor if either of them falls down one can help the other up but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up also if two lie down together they will keep warm But how can you keep warm alone? Use a blanket if you're single. Um, Said that last week as well, not changing it. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a court of three is not quickly broken. The case he's making here is a case for community, a case for friends. And that everything you go through, including the pains, the suffering of life, that life will inevitably bring, it's better to go through that stuff with people. Preferably good people who care about you. So you need friends. Everything I've gone through in my life, like I, I met people at a young, young stage, they cared about me, sh- like they showed me good friendship, they picked me up when I was down, they came through for me in tough season, all the that stuff, and now, because I've had good people around me, because I've had friends to count on, I'm here speaking to you guys. I get to do the thing I love because of the people who invested into my life. You need people, you need friends. Now, here's the second thing about friends, because we've all heard these cliches, like those who matter don't mind and those who don't mind don't, who mind don't matter, something like that. And the implication there is that if people don't have anything nice to say, then they shouldn't say anything to you at all. And that's not what friendships should be about. The thing about friendships is that friendships need to be necessary, not nice. Friends need to be necessary, not always nice. Yes, of course it's nice when like, things are good, be nice, but sometimes friends must be willing to tell you the things that you're not willing to hear. Sometimes friends must be willing to correct you when you're wrong. Sometimes friends must be willing to hurt you for the sake of your growth. It says in Proverbs 27, 27 verse 5 to 6, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The case he's making here is that it's better to be hurt by people that care about you for the sake of your growth than people professing to love you and watching you do the wrong thing to your peril. hope I'm using the right word there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he- Hebrews 12 takes this thought further and it tells us that God disciplines those he loves. And I know from having, a course, a single mom that discipline is not always pleasant. In fact, they say that discipline is not always nice in the moment, but I respect and I honor my mom for doing it now because of the person I've turned out to be. And it says there that God disciplines those he loves, and the fruit of that is righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. Friends that care about you, friends that have your best interest in heart will say things that you don't want to hear, things that aren't always nice but necessary to build you up, to give you righteousness and peace in your life. And then the third point, friends should prepare you, or if you're already married, should enrich your relationship like your romantic relationships. So when I was in the Eastern Cape uh, in 2015, my brother and I went through the initiation process, and when we came out the other end, you go into this room where where, where the lady elders, the woman elders come first, and they give you advice, they give you gifts, they give you money, and They speak into your life. And then you go out of that room and you go into a kraal. I found out in the first service it's called a kraal in English. And you go into (laughs) Isma'ya Well, chanting is closer. And you go into this thing and you sit down again. And then the elder men come and they give you their gifts and they give you money. But most of them give you a really small amount of money, a really small and seems insignificant amount of money. So some of them will come and they'll give you two rand. And they'll say, what you do with this two rand now is going to dictate what you do with a bigger amount of money later in life. Build your house with this money. Obviously, in the moment, I'm like, oh, why are you lying? You're just stingy because you're going to go buy yourself PS. <laughs> <clears throat> but, it's, but it's a stewardship message. Um, message. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, the ladies are more generous because they don't drink. So they give you like 20 bucks. <laughs> The lesson still works with 20 bucks, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyways, that's not the point. But the lesson is, that it is a stewardship lesson. Is that, it's like the Matthew principle. Those who have, even more will be given. Those who have none, even that will be taken away. It sounds unfair. It sounds rough. And it's just said this way again, is that if you're faithful with little, a little, then you'll be trusted with more. That's the same thing for your friendships. In fact, I was speaking to Rick who put this into the friendship context. We were speaking at Young Adults and they asked him how he chooses to do his friendships with the people he lives with, with us, myself, Sia, my brother, all the rest. And he says, I choose to do my friendships with these guys the way I want my marriage to be. And so I don't go to sleep with something in my heart against this guy. I don't go to sleep angry. I don't, I have the conversation. I love these guys. The way I wanna treat my wife one day is the way I'm gonna start building with these guys now. The way I use that two rand is the way I'm gonna use my 200,000 rand later in life. And that's um, so, friendships, rich friendships, should prepare you for your marriage life. How you treat girls now, how you engage with people that are are different to you, all counts on how you're gonna treat women later when it's your girlfriend, when it's your spouse. And then beyond that, just being super like, what can I say, adaptable, super rich in your, in your relationship comes from being around people that are different to you. When you are around other, other genders, without an agenda, just being good friends, you pick up things that you can take into your marriage that will be good for you. When you're around people that are different to you in culture, you pick up stuff that's different to you. I was saying that this has benefited me in my life, that I can walk into different spaces and be accepted because on one end, I'm coursed through and through, I'm like black as they come, I can just like sit and do things the black way. And then on the other end of the scope, I grew up doing nippers and life-saving with white folks. So I can be like, hey, dude, yeah, let's go catch away, bro, take that barrel. <laughs> and so in different spaces, I'm able to relate to the people better just because I've got a big range of big scope of friends who have invested and built into my life. And so even on that light note, it's beneficial to have friends of different genders, different cultures with no agenda. Now all of these are just, or are relatively good ideas but they all rest on this one thing and without this one thing they fall flat on their face. I think you know what I'm gonna say. <laughs> but our friendships need to be built on God's friendship. Our friendships need to come from our friendship with God. We could get stuck into all the ideas like, yeah, we need respect, we need trust, and we could try and pack all of that, but it comes down to just this one thing. If this one thing fails, the others fall apart. And the problem with this is that we've treated God like a fling. We've treated God like that, that hurting friend. We've, we've gone, God, I want to do these things my own way. I'm not going to trust you with my relationships. I'm going to hold you at arm's length. I don't want you to speak into the parts of my life. I don't want you to tell me what to do. If you, God, have got nothing nice to say, then don't say anything to me. Otherwise, we've just got this expectation of, I'm going to carry on in my life. Please just be nice to me. We need to move away from that thing. This is what Jesus says in John 15, verse 1 to 7, and now I'm going to read for a long time, so pay attention. I'm sure it's going to come up on the screen behind me. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. There it is. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burnt. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Mm. If you keep my command, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that your joy may be complete. My commandment is this love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servant because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friend. We're gonna unpack this, but I'm gonna start from the bottom and work my way back up. I wanna sit on this point because this is, the, this is the builder. This is the fundamental hinge. Love each other as I have loved you. This is what the whole concept about remaining in the vine is. You need to love as you have been loved by Jesus. You cannot love a part from receiving God's love. Say like this, if you do not know love, you do not know God because God is love. And the opposite truth, you do not know God, you cannot know love because God is love. And so in order to love people well, in order to do this thing, right, it needs to be rooted in the creator of love, in the origin of love, or else it will fail. It's a secondhand version, it's corrupted. Love one another as I have loved you. Before Jesus came and loved us so well and laid down His life for us, this commandment went: love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your might, and all your soul. And the second is like it: love your neighbors you love yourself. Then it got perfected by Jesus. Now you love as you've been loved, and so you have to immerse, immerse yourself daily in how God loves you and how Jesus has loved you. And that's the love you give to people. That love gives life. Two. Yeah, you can clap. I'm gonna. What a break. <laughs> Second point, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's just straight up and honest. Apart from the vine, you can do nothing. Apart from the vine. In fact, I say a life apart from God is hell on earth long before you die. A life apart from God is death. long before you die. Apart from God, you can do nothing. You can't do it on your own power. You can't do it well at least. When you do life apart from God, It is like that branch that withers and dies and then is picked up and cast into the fire. It is dead. He has no reservations about that point. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't try to do it apart from God. Don't even try to start and then say, I started with God, now I'm going to continue on my own. He calls the Galatians foolish for trying to do that. We'll get to that in a little bit more. Well, number three, while every branch does not bear fruit, he prunes, I mean, Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. So it'll be even more fruitful. I had to look up what, I knew what pruning was in some sense, but I had to look up the dictionary definition and it said this, to trim a tree, shrub, or bush by cutting away dead or overgrown branches or stems, especially to encourage growth. And that's what happens when God works with you. You come to him and David prayed this prayer. God, let my sacrifice be my brokenness, my sacrifice to you. And as we give more of our brokenness to God, as we give more of our relationships to God, he cuts those dead parts away to encourage growth. And somewhere in there there's that process of discipline where God disciplines his love. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, sometimes it hurts, sometimes you don't understand what's going on. But it's for your growth, for your benefit. And what happens it bears more fruit when you're pr- put through the process of pruning your relationships bring life number four i have called you friend this is one of the things i've got to call about because we've all got this expectation of friends that they should bring When I spoke, you guys, it's like 50-50. When I spoke to the teenagers, I said 50-50. If that person doesn't give me what I give them, they need to give me what I give them. They need to put in what I put in. They need to be willing and invested. I've had enough of my friends who don't message me, check up on me, check if I'm good, even though I don't do that. People want 50-50. And the thing about love, this love, and God calling you friend is that it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He called us friend when we didn't deserve to be called friend. When we hadn't earned the privilege of being called His friends, when we couldn't do anything right, that's when He called us friend. Because it says, "This is the true marking of friend that He would lay down His life for His friends." That's the ultimate act of love. And so Jesus loved us like a friend, related to us like a friend, before we could give anything back to Him. And powerful people know because of that that we give a hundred percent into a relationship, a hundred percent into a friendship, because Jesus has called me friend. I'm gonna. Call other people friends, despite what they do or can do to me. We give a hundred because that's who we are. Despite what other people can give back to you. I remember when I was a kid, said this earlier, the same guys who taught me nippers, pulled me into their families, looked after me like and now they are family. I can walk into any of these guys' families, I can call their parents, they can come to my house whenever. We're like family, but I had nothing. My parents had nothing. It was the era of the teacher strikes where teachers had just had their salaries reduced. And I had nothing to offer anyone except my friendship. And my friends gave me everything they had for me. They pulled me into the family. They looked out for me when I had nothing for them. Now that I'm in a place to give, I get to give back. But it's out of the will of my heart, out of the things that God has done for me that I get to do that for them. They didn't have that expectation or ask of me and I don't have that expectation or ask of them. The principle is freely you have been given, freely give. And the emphasis is that Jesus has called you friend. And now the last point in closing is in the scripture, the thing you hear over and over and over and over again, the emphasis is on that remain. Remain in me. Remain in me. Sometimes you're going to go through pruning and it's going to hurt and you're not going to understand. Remain in the vine. Sometimes people are going to hurt you and you're not going to think it's fair. Remain in the vine. Sometimes your relationship spaces are going to hurt. You need to remain in Jesus. Remain in me. When you flop and you fall, remain in me when you're feeling guilty, sinful, shame, all the rest of that condemnation remain in me. That was my problem for so long trying to be a Christian on my own is that I would fly and then I'd fall and then I wouldn't remain. I'd come back when the chips were up again. And when my friends were around me and they got to encourage me, they got to remind me of my identity, who Jesus was in my life, they constantly pushed me to remain in Him. Then I could fly then I could grow as a Christian it's in remaining that you find growth it's in relationship and in, in remaining that you find life and your relationships bring life remain 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 in him on that bombshell can we bow our heads now I'm going to pray Father thank you so much that while we were still sinners you loved us Thank you that you called us friend. Thank you that you've made us righteous. Thank you that because you love us, you discipline us, you put us through um, a process of pruning where we give you our dead parts and you replace them with life. Parts that bring life. Thank you that you bring life to our relationships and every other aspect of our life. And I, I just pray that as we leave here, we could take that into our week. We could take you, the vine, the true vine, into our, into our weeks, And that the way we do relationships going forward is is rooted in you, rooted in your word. I just pray that we could remain in you. In your name we pray, amen. Cool. Thank you so much, guys.